Hey everyone. How many times have your friends recommended a vitamin or a treatment or some natural health awesomeness that changed their life? Probably a lot. Blue Hive Health was designed to take that friendship to the next level. On this podcast, Giovanna and Stephanie will spend time debunking myths and introducing you to the latest in health and wellness treatments, all to support you and your family. Welcome to the Blue Hive Healthcast. Let's dive in. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Blue Hive Healthcast. I'm Giovanna, one of your co-hosts, and I'm here today to talk to you all about mindfulness and meditation, and in particular, how to use nature to help you get into this relaxed healing state of mindfulness. I'm here with Dr. Rochelle Calvert. She is an expert in mindfulness, and she is the founder of the New Mindful Life For the last 16 years, she has taught classes and courses and workshops and retreats, and she leads all of these in a six-week introductory training in mindfulness, Awake in the Wild of Nature, based mindfulness retreats, mindfulness-based stress reduction, and mindfulness-based cognitive therapy. So there's a whole heap of things that she does. You can find out more about her at newmindfullife.com. But for today, she's here sharing her wisdom with us and talking to us about how to use mindfulness to really transform your health. And so we're diving deep into the mind-body connection and why it is that is important to cultivate uh, mindfulness in a meditation practice daily, how it affects your stress levels. And we go deep into this topic. And I know you're going to love hearing a lot of the nerdy science stuff behind this and really just understanding how there's great, amazing, simple ways that you can uh, overcome physical and mental illness using mindfulness. Rochelle, um, her mindfulness journey began over 16 years ago, and she was introduced to this and then later went on to just dive right into the deep end of it. So she is an amazing expert um, to have on this show today. Of course, we have our very own mindfulness teacher at Blue Hive Health, Davidson, for any of you that listen to this show and say, hey, I want to dive deeper into this get in touch with us. We'll get you in touch with Davidson and uh, you can dive into some more uh, exploration of mindfulness for yourself with an actual guide, which is very different than, uh, you know, experiencing it on an app uh, when you're having a teacher help guide you along. Anyway, I am so excited to have you guys here on the show for Dr. Rochelle's insights and for this amazing conversation. Welcome, welcome, and let's dive in. Welcome to the show, Rochelle. <laughs> Thank you so much, Giovanna, for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I was telling you before we hit record how much I love what you do. Um, this somatic approach to healing and releasing, you know, trauma and just really releasing blocked energy um, from the psyche and the body is just something that I bring to my own personal practice. And I, I, and I also have my own practitioner that works on me in such a manner, and it's just uh, near and dear to my heart. So I, I'm really excited to dive into this and to share with the audience um, what this can do for them. But before we go there, if you can give us just a little sneak peek at how it is that you got into doing this work. Yeah, I am, um, you know, like you and I'm sure many of your listeners as well have struggled and suffered from the impacts of trauma, uh, many through the course of my lifetime. And really um, healing journey for myself and being a psychologist and therapist, just found that as I got into the field to support people to heal from these types of wounds and challenges, um, you know, 
traditional ways that psychotherapy had been being taught, at least at that time, were just not enough. And ultimately it was seeking and really looking for what would support um, the restoration and the health of trauma. And um, it began with discovering mindfulness and feeling like, wow, this is a potent way to be able to heal, but found that it was limiting in some capacities. And then through some of my own healing, but also through some study and just feeling like there must be more, um, came across somatic healing. And I'd actually known within the traditions of mindfulness that the body was such an important foundational focus. And so it felt like a great marriage, um, those two approaches to begin to integrate that with um, healing trauma. And then my own personal practice has always been outside. I've just enjoyed being with and in the container and support of nature. And it dawned on me probably about five years ago to start taking my clients outside in the same way that I was getting the benefit of using these practices. And um, it's kind of grown from there and really feeling how the container of nature is such a support to skillfully weave these practices into our healing with trauma. Mm, I find it so much easier to drop in to myself when I'm in nature. So I love that. Yeah. And you said something really key in there, which is I think when you said it yourself, like it's why a lot of us get into this work is because we ourselves um, are a work in progress and healing, you know, much of uh, our stuff. And then as we, we, we heal that, we, you know, we want to bring this to other people. So I love that. That's yeah. fantastic. Um, I want to dive into this, you know, question of what is somatic healing and what is somatic work. And a lot of us, I believe, are just walking around for the most part, really kind of disembodied. And what I mean by that for people listening is we're really in our heads and we just live in our heads and we're planning in our heads and we're thinking in our heads and we're worrying in our heads. And we don't actually, you know, enter the the lower two thirds of our body for most of us um, until we have a pain or until we are suffering an illness or until the body really like screams out in that way. So I wonder if you can share with the audience you know, what, not only the definition of what somatic healing is, but what the purpose of it is and how it could help, you know, the everyday person who maybe doesn't identify as someone who has trauma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I love your description of we, we, we want to think our way through, you know, what we need to do and we don't, you know, inhabit our bodies and listen to those messages um, that are there for us and really somatic healing is waking us up to that. Ideally, we're learning various ways, practices, skills that bring us present to the body, bring us present to where the experiences of challenge that we have encountered in our lives, especially with maybe trauma experiences, and where those might actually live in the body. We keep wanting to go back to the mind to think that the mind will help us solve the problem, but the theory in somatic healing comes from somatic experiencing, which points us to really trauma is stuck in the physiology, in the nervous system of the body. And so if that's the case, and more and more research shows that it is, um, trying to think our way through isn't really going to help. We need to have practices that help us land safely in our bodies, begin to connect to our bodies again, ideally first in ways that feel supportive, safe, reliant, grounded, but then eventually over time, moving to the capacity to be present to the places in our body that hold the stuck trauma. 
And then there are specific practices, a lot of which are, are discussed and shared and practiced in the book to help people learn how to safely, skillfully navigate towards those stuck places in the body to allow a different relationship to it so that we can release it or transform it in some way and then allowing ourselves to feel more fully present in our bodies. And you mentioned the word embodiment and this is, can we be at home? Can we feel the fullness of that other two thirds of our body that we're forgetting is here to lead the way? And when we're more embodied, we actually have more capacity to make decisions from that standpoint. It actually becomes more of a bottom up approach instead of the mind trying to dictate um, what needs from a top down perspective to happen with the body. Yeah, which is so kind of almost contrary to what we've been taught, right? Is mm-hmm. like, no, you think your way, like you said, out of problems. Right. I, I wonder if you could define for us trauma, because I don't think a lot of people mm-hmm. who actually probably do have trauma, and myself, I was in this category for a long time. Mm-hmm. I didn't identify as someone that had trauma until I, you know, dove into this work and started studying it, you know, and realized that you know, growing up in a house that had a lot of yelling and screaming and unrest is, was actually traumatic. Um, And so can you define that a little bit for us? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's actually something I'm really passionate about. And in the book really highlight is that we, this word itself, trauma often gets really classically identified, like where we think trauma must just be because we've been in a serious accident, or there's been a a war situation or combat or very violent assaults or sexual assaults. But really, it's much, much broader than that, just to what you pointed to growing up in a household that there's maybe a lot of very emotionally abusive turmoil that's going on can be traumatic to a respective nervous system, you know, a little beings nervous system. And really, trauma in its in its more broad definition is just the way that we respond or have a response to a very distressing or disturbing event that ultimately kind of overwhelms our ability to cope. We don't really have the resources in that moment to actually help ourselves out of it. And it ultimately causes feelings of maybe helplessness in that moment or not really being able to kind of get ourselves back to restoration after that event. We maybe go on and, you know, say, I'll just get over it and move on. And we think it's no big deal, but ultimately what ends up happening is if we didn't really have a full restoration and homeostasis kind of coming back to regulation after that event, we just did the best we could and got through, our nervous system isn't excited about that. And it might go on after that to like cause us challenges, you know, in other places down the line. Like we can't figure out why I'm having so much challenge in finding health in my relationship with my partner, because maybe I did have a lot that went on in my childhood that I was exposed to. And I did my best to get through the relationship traumas that were happening. But now here I am as an adult, you know, uncertain how to resolve, you know, what's not working in the relationship because of maybe those unhealed experiences. So it can be everything from, you know, losing a loved one, some kind of betrayal, bullying, abuses of power, Um, emotional abuse, feelings of um, helplessness. And even on a collective level, we've all been through a giant trauma. I would would advocate we're still in it Mm -hmm. (laughs) with the pandemic, um, you know, and dealing with all of the impact um, that that puts on one's nervous system and whether or not we have the resources to bear on it will impact whether or not we have um, 
reactions that ha will have residual from that trauma. How does it work for, you know, people listening who, you know, when I put myself in their shoes, because, you know, when I first heard of, you know, somatic experiencing and, and just somatic coaching and all of this, mm -hmm. I thought, you know, oh, that sounds cool. And then when I started doing it, my very, you know, type A left brain mm -hmm. self was like, what was going on here? Right. Because it's not talk therapy. It's not right. about regurgitating the story and the, and the, you know, re-traumatizing almost. Mm -hmm. It's, it's very much about a felt sense and it's very much about being in your body, which I had, I mean, and sometimes I still, depending on the day I'm having my therapy session, I mean, I, I still like, there's a hard time of switching gears. So how does it actually work? And, and I guess what could somebody expect to experience? And I, I know it's broad for everybody, but Sure. Yeah. And I think the experience of, you know, landing in our body can be foreign. And so it, it is, of course, the default that the mind says, well, we need to do something here. <laughs> there must be something to do. And this is actually why I'm um, really intentional about when we're working in somatic healing practices to bring the practices of mindfulness in. You know, mindfulness invites us to just steady our presence with what's here as best we can, not judge or react or need to fix some experience and really stay attuned moment to moment. And what we're doing with somatic healing practices is inviting ourselves to just land in, oh, what's it like to feel that part of my body expressing sensation now? And staying with it long enough without the need to do, to fix, <laughs> to let the mind come in and intervene so that the body and that awareness to the body grows to begin to lead the way, right? And so it's it's a skill. So we're not it's we've been trained the other direction. So it takes some time, and there's lots of different ways that we learn how to steady ourselves first in something like, oh, can I just feel my feet? Can I feel maybe the breeze of the air around me for a few moments? And that's an easier sensation to kind of steady into and feel like, oh, I'm in my body now. I'm with the sensations of my body in these more kind of supportive and grounded ways. And then over time, we can, with the spirit of being present and mindful of moving into those places of trauma in our body, we can really begin to invite the body to tell us what it needs, to give us the messages of what we'll release. And again, this is where it gets so sticky because the mind thinks it's going to have an answer here. But really, it's this deep, present sensing of the body that's allowing us to traverse and figure out, you know, maybe what small movements or connections or sense of touch might need to happen that really allows the body to release that trauma. It's such a good explanation. And, and I, like I said, for me, it was such a foreign concept. And I think, I think when you do have trauma mm -hmm. or when let's say your body has been for whatever reason, an uncomfortable place to inhabit, because maybe there was pain or maybe, you know, for some people abuse or um, what, what have it, right. That it's so much easier and more comfortable to live in your head. And um, I did find it this way, even though I was a yogi, which mm -hmm. is very about embodiment and I mm -hmm. taught yoga um, that somehow for me felt different than just being still and feeling into my body. Yeah. Um, but I remember just right away within a few sessions, starting to notice very subtle shifts in just my way of being and, you know, my resiliency towards stress and, and things in my life. And, um, 
I can definitely attest to that for me that, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, and it's, you know, it's a bit of mental gymnastics. Cause like you said, mm-hmm. like the mind wants to say, okay, but well, what are we going to do? What's right. the 12 step plan? Is this out? What? Yeah. Are we done yet? <laughs> are we done yet? Like, is this, is this doing anything? Like, you know, the, what am I supposed to do? What's the homework, you know? Um, yeah. And, you know, we have a lot of like very high achieving mm-hmm. type A personalities that listen to our show. And so, yeah. you know, I'm speaking to you guys, um, but I'm one of them. Right. So I, I totally understand that. I wonder if you can go into, you know, because your book is about using nature for healing and all of these tools. Mm-hmm. How does that then, you know, tie in to all of this, like using nature and in, in, in this process? Yeah, yeah. As I was, you know, sharing and how I got into this work, you know, when we walk outside and this, I knew it was true for myself. It's like so much easier to practice outside um, my meditation practice and felt like, wow, there's such a beautiful container here that's really holding me beyond what my own immediate body container is holding. And, you know, there's so much research. It's also kind of growing in the last 10 years or so around studying the benefits of what it is to be or spend time in nature, whether we're not, even if we're not practicing mindfulness or, you know, any somatic healing practices, just spending five minutes out there reduces stress levels, literal cortisol levels, you know, hearing some bird song improves your mood, right? So you start, and these are obvious things to most of us, you know, but it's nice that science is kind of pointing us to, hey, this is really true. We can track the physiology. And because our bodies have been so disrupted by trauma, right? And we're trying through these other practices and modalities to awaken and heal and restore the body. If the body is naturally inclined to feel more restoration and ease within the support and connection of the natural world, just be, it was like, kind of like, well, why, what, why are we not doing this outside? This seems like the place where we would Duh. be most, <laughs> most supported, right. you know, as, as we're trying to wake up to very, like you were saying, very potentially painful places that we've really worked to kind of check out from. So nature becomes this really just beautiful um, doorway and support. And then I, over time through the practices, I think one can find like just this embrace of a holding of a support. And so in the practices we're using, not just the container of the body, but the container of nature. So learning how to really feel into the ground or feel into the elements or feel into the way the body is awakened through the senses. And all of that supports then how steady and present we can be with our own inner experiences. And we can learn to use somatic experiencing um, has a lot of pendulation practice, right? Where we're paying attention to something that feels soothing and then something that feels challenging. Well, if we grow that soothing container even bigger to all the potential points of support that are out within nature, we can really amplify and support the ways we're able to move towards healing that trauma. I love that. I love that explanation. Um, because again, the brain, the brain wants a bit of a, like a how-to, how does it work? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I, I absolutely love that. So, and, and I love the fact that this is, you know, obviously you've experienced it yourself. You've studied it. I mean, you have a PhD, what better person to come onto the show and really break it down for us. Um, I'd love if you talked a little bit more about the types of, you know, traumas or the types of, um, 
let's say problems, right? That sure. somebody might be experiencing that can say, hey, I'm going to try that, right? Because mm -hmm. that makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, like we were talking earlier about the definition here of trauma, if, if you're feeling stuck, if you feel like you have, you know, ruminative thought patterns, which many of us do, right? And you're getting lost in your head and you're, you're feeling like, wow, it just, I just keep getting reactive and kind of going down that rabbit hole mentally, those are moments to recognize maybe it's time to just take a look at what's going on in my body. Like maybe just asking simply the question, if you can remember, and sometimes it's hard because the mind is so charged, but as the mind is charging, like what's happening in my body? What if I just simply sweeped my attention from the top of my head to the base of my feet, very slowly, gently, what do I notice? What's there? And often when we're in that state in the mind, we'll find something in the body that's like, yep. you know, our fists are gripped, our toes are curled, you know, I'm not breathing very well, you know, something of that nature. And it's like, oh, look at that. That's what's happening to my body now. And then very simply, we could use these, as I mentioned just a moment ago, the pendulation practice. So, okay, so I know that that difficulty of shortness of breath or clenching is here. Now can I just let myself find something that feels grounded and supportive? Maybe I take my body outside and I go stand next to a tree or I feel the sun on my skin or I smell a sweet, you know, scent from the earth. And now I've actually brought in some support to be with that tension, that gripping, whatever it is. And I maybe spend just a few moments feeling that whatever it is I'm feeling more grounded and supported by and then I go back to that difficulty. And I gently just rock my attention back and forth a little bit, just for a few times, and then just see what happens after that. And then move on for the rest of whatever's gonna come next. But that's a different way of meeting a moment of difficulty rather than just kind of gripping and going on with the same mental whatever patterns we've been engaging in. And if we do those kinds of things enough, eventually, we begin to get the insights of, oh, this is related to that challenge, that difficulty in my life. Little aha moments will kind of come in, not because we thought about them long enough and they came in, but they just kind of appear. It's like, oh, right, I'm, I'm not really respecting my boundaries that I need in this situation. That's where the gripping is coming from, right? So there's, and these practices in the book are kind of helping us to find these skillful means so that we can adopt them into the reactivities of our life and begin to heal and find how we can let go of all those reactive patterns that may be built around the trauma histories that we have. That's very helpful. Yeah. And I would imagine, um, you know, having a guide through this process is, is the ideal thing. Um, but even just having a starting point, like the exercises in the book is, is going to be really beneficial for people to try this on their own. And it's funny what came up for me when you were talking was potentially, you know, the people listening going, because again, this used to be me, um, the people <laughs> listening saying, that sounds so lovely. But I, I, when it, I'm in the moment, and I want to sure. like rip someone's head off, like, yeah. how do I 
slow myself down enough. And yeah. how do I do that? Because we we have an addiction to being yes. irate and to being angered and to being, you know, um, just indignant about something. Patterns, yes, <laughs> All of those exactly. things. Exactly. <laughs> we prefer to go to those because they're the default switch and they they're comfortable. They may not be pleasant, but they're the comfortable way to go because that's what we right. know. So and yeah. in a lot of ways, you know, that's some place if you're feeling really disempowered around something, getting angry about it feels more powerful, right? Yeah. Yeah. So definitely. what do you do mm-hmm. when you're just starting this out and you're like yeah. in the whole, I'm going to wring somebody's neck. Like you can't <laughs> unclench the fists and you can, somebody says, go outside and take a breath. And you're like, screw you. You know, right. so how do you do it when you're right. first starting out? Well, yes. So I have two answers I that for that. I think, you know, first of all, it's fine. You're being, you're angry. Like just let yourself be angry in that moment. Ideally as best we can, we, we don't want to harm others, but, um, I think we first have to just recognize we're in the pattern because once you're, if you're just acting out and reacting in the pattern, there's no choice in that, right? But if we can just be compassionate, like, oh yeah, I'm angry right now. And like honor, I'm really pissed. I'm really, you know, wanting to rage on somebody and actually let yourself feel the surge and be kind that this is just what's happening. That's one way to handle the crisis moment that we're in. But more, more importantly, that oh, this is a practice. This is a skill we have to develop. You wouldn't run a marathon if you'd never done a 5K, right? Like we have to start where we are and start simple and start building that skill and that muscle to be able to deal with those marathon moments, like when we're in the actual thick of the intensity. And so in the book, I was really intentional about building section by section, chapter by chapter, that capacity. And so we're starting in the very beginning with very small, simple muscle building practices that give us that stamina to be able to work in those more, you know, intense, uh, fervorous moments of the difficulties. And as we take all of that growth with us, eventually it does become something that in those moments we're able to actively apply the practices that we want in that moment. And ideally maybe even those triggers just stop. A lot of times, most clients that I work with, you know, as we do this work together, inevitably, you know, a few months in, somebody will show up and say something to the effect of, you know, I was in that situation and I normally would do da 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 da, yell, scream, <laughs> retreat, withdrawal, throw things. And I just didn't. I didn't have the impulse to do that anymore. I was able to do, you know, these other things that had been part of the muscle growth we've been working on. It just became the new muscle that wanted to engage in that moment without the need to to make it happen. Um, And so I think that's what's really inspiring about these practices is because we are becoming embodied, the body will lead the way in those moments. It's not like we need to think our way through it anymore. And it's almost kind of surprising when we get in those moments and we're like, wow, my body just did that for me. <laughs> and, and, and it's reinforcing, it's reassuring that the trauma is resolving and healing and we're finding a new way of living in our, in our bodies. Yeah. It's, it's creating, it's to me, I see it as almost like massaging the nervous system mm. and just creating greater capacity to take things on and, mm-hmm. and process things better without, you know, clogging the pipes, so to speak and, yes. and getting all yes. caught up. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
Yeah, I love that. You touched on this a couple of times um, as we've spoken in terms of like science and stuff. And I just, I need to satisfy my nerdy geeky science girl um, because I absolutely love that, you know, what was once this woo woo weird practice mm -hmm. of like mm -hmm. mindfulness and navel gazing actually now right. has science behind it. Right. <laughs> um, and feeling into your body to release trauma is now not, you know, crazy. There's scientific, you know, I love that science is now backing up all the stuff that when I was coming up was considered mm -hmm. wackadoodle. So mm -hmm. can you share a little more about, you know, some really interesting, cool studies that I don't know, you just, you geek out on that you want to share with yeah. our audience around this? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, you know, I geek out a lot on the mindfulness front and the somatic experiencing field. I will say we're, we're slower, but we're coming, you know, there's a lot that's <laughs> beginning to sh show up, but really I think eventually my own personal thought in this is that a lot of what we're studying in mindfulness, at least around the body is going to map very cleanly and clearly onto what we're studying with somatic experiencing, but yeah, ultimately um, you know, some really cool experiences that have happened with uh, mindfulness, the ones I geek out on particularly, and there's, uh, I believe there's a couple studies even in the SE world is, you know, we are changing the physiology of our brains. Now, if, we, if we're talking about trying to change this dynamic from top down to bottom up, right, that that would be a healthier way to live. These practices are teaching us to restructure the functions and processes of our brain so that we can have more access to doing that. Like there's studies after studies showing with fMRIs, what we can do to light up certain parts of the brain and shrink certain parts of the brain. The one that gets me the most is the amygdala because the amygdala in folks who suffer from trauma, they're typically oversized, right? The amygdala is that little guy in the back of the brain sits uh -huh. at the base, super old guy who says, fight, flight, or freeze. We got to do one of them because that's our survival mechanism. Folks who've had a lot of trauma and unresolved trauma tend to have bigger amygdalas. There's physiological structural size difference in the body. We know with these practices, we can reduce the size of that. In my mind, that's like amazing because then that, that guy is not running the show. And I really believe that's kind of what patients will come to me and report. It's like their amygdala has shifted. It's like, now they're like, well, it just doesn't want to run the show anymore. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? You know, That's so and, cool. <laughs> it's like, that's amazing. My structures in my brain have changed. So now I can just live in my life the way I was designed to, you know? So, so there's, you know, many different things in the brain and in the cortisol and the, you know, the nervous system functionings, our vagal tone improves, which is, you know, that's up and coming research with somatic and so many different ways we're studying the vagus nerve, right? Which is the nerve that runs from the base of the brain through the body and is kind of sending healthy or non-healthy, depending on if we aren't healed with our trauma, um, signals to the body that keeps it in the alert systems. And so when we have healthy vagal tone, which is shown to improve when we, when we practice mindfulness, when we practice somatic healing practices um, to function better, I actually use that nerve correctly and it can function properly, it actually begins to improve. Um, they're, they're beginning to see some links to different um, autoimmune diseases even actually. And so mm -hmm. it, it, I think we're not, we're just so in the infancy of knowing because now we're in body centric practices, what those body centric practices can reveal for the healing potential of all these different diseases we've struggled with. So 
Yeah, that's I just I, oh, out. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. Uh, me too. I, I I I have an armchair PhD, but I don't I don't have your your level. But I just totally geek out on all this stuff because, yeah. you know, again, the mind body connection used to be this woo woo concept of like yeah yeah whatever, but it's real and it's now yeah. science is proving um, how strong and powerful it is. And I love that you talked about vagal tone and the vagus nerve. It's, you know, I, I call it as like, you know, the, the, the central nervous system, you know, hose or rather the mm -hmm. autonomic nervous mm -hmm. system. And when the hose is kinked, you know, right. it creates, it innervates the body. So of course it's going to create chronic illness. Of course it's going to create, you know, so I love it. I just yeah. love it. Love it. Yes. Awesome. Well, this has been so amazing, Rochelle, having you on and having you share with us uh, your book and your insights. And please tell the audience where they can find you, where they can grab this amazing book with all these great yeah. tools in it. Um, and just so they can find more if they want yeah, it. Definitely. Would love to connect with anybody who wants to geek out on this with me. I'm, I'm so happy to answer emails and any correspondence anyone would like to reach me with. But um, but the main website where you can find my book is um, called New Mindful Life. That's new, like a new something, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, mindfullife.com. Uh, and if you go to that webpage, um, right front and center, there'll be a way to click and click through to your preferred um, place you'd like to purchase the book. Um, and you can purchase the book through Amazon, IndieBound, uh, Barnes and Noble. And um, I would also love to share with your audience that I have a couple of retreats coming up and they are all rooted in the teachings that I share in that book and held in the beautiful containers of the amazing natural world that we have access to. Um, one of those retreats will be in uh, late August, August 26th to 29th in the Rocky Mountains, just above Boulder, Colorado. Um, at a beautiful center called the Rocky Mountain Ecodharma Center. Um, and we'll have four and a half days there of just beautiful practice, connection, and community. And then another one that'll be in November, which is the 19th to the 23rd. And that one will be in New Mexico at the Georgia O'Keeffe uh, Ghost Ranch, which is just outside Santa Fe. And we will be staying at the base. If you've ever seen any of Georgia O'Keeffe's paintings, we will be staying in a retreat center that is at the base of those mountains that she so brilliantly painted and have the opportunity to immerse ourselves in the healing of that land and that place and these practices. And I just would love to have anyone who's interested, please join us. That sounds heavenly. I'm, I'm going to look those up myself <laughs> um, because, oh my God, that just, it sounds, first of all, after a year and a half yes. of, like you said, collective trauma, that sounds yeah. so needed. Yeah. Um, and I just think it would be beautiful. Thank you again for being on the show, Rochelle, and for, for reaching out to us. This was amazing. I know the audience is going to get a lot out of this. Um, and thank you for sharing your wisdom. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Blue Hive HealthCast. Did you get an insight from this episode or learn something new? Consider sharing it with a friend. If you love the show, we'd appreciate it if you subscribed via iTunes or wherever you listen to your favorite shows and give us a rate and review. Visit us at bluehivehealth.com for more information on our programs and services.